0: One of the hardest things about finding out that your partner has had an affair is the shame and embarrassment talking about it because it makes you feel like you did something wrong, that somehow you weren't good enough and that you didn't keep them happy. And there's such a misperception in the world around what affairs are like and what it means when somebody has had an affair. That's why I have created a monthly support group for women who have been betrayed by their partner. It's for women who are really ready to move through the grief and the pain in a healthful way so they can claim what's possible for them on the other side of infidelity and betrayal as quickly and as healthfully as possible. And part of that is, is having community, having community with people who are positive. There are so many online support groups where everybody's just really negative and grouchy and they just vent their own pain and they vomit their pain all over you. And this group is nothing like this. This group is honest. Yes, we're honest. But it's also about support and community and holding each other and building each other up. If this sounds like something that you would be interested in, go to www.com. Flourish After Infidelity and sign up. When you sign up, you'll immediately get the Zoom link to our next meeting. And then you will be in the loop and you will know when each monthly meeting is about to occur. I really look forward to having you there, to building this community of strong women together. And once again, it's www. Flourish after infidelity.com And we'll see you at our next meeting. Hello and welcome to Flaunt. Create a life you love after infidelity or a betrayal. I'm Laura Cheadle and I work with women who have been betrayed by their intimate partner and who really desperately want to get to the other side of that betrayal, and by that i mean who don't want to become bitter old women who don't want to become vengeful victimy people who spend the rest of their life in this horrible state of regret and anger and all of the negative things all of those negative emotions about what happened to them the women who want to take control of the narrative And start telling their story their way. Because yes, this happened to you. This happened to me. This happened to us. And while it was awful, while it was absolutely the worst thing that has ever happened to me and might be the worst thing that has ever happened to you as well, it's not the end of the story. It doesn't define us. And if you're anything like me, you do not want to be defined forevermore, be defined forevermore as the person who got cheated on by their partner, the person who fell apart after this affair. If you're anything like me, you want to be defined as the person who soared, the person who flourished, the person who took this horrible, awful, terrible, unfair, thing and used it for something good he used it for their own growth for their own benefit who stepped back into her power and created exactly the kind of life that she loved going forward so if that sounds like you or who you want to be then welcome you have absolutely found the right place If you've been listening to me for a while, you know. If you're new here, welcome. And I'm gonna start by telling you a tiny bit about me. My husband cheated on me for 15 years of our 23-year marriage with, you got it, five different women. Yeah, five women over 15 years. And I truly had no idea. I really thought we had a good marriage. You know, yeah, there were the ups and downs. Yes, there were the stressful times. Yes, I got frustrated. I felt neglected. I, you know, like kind of the normal things that I thought happened in a marriage. Yeah, there's good times. Yeah, there's bad times. But I thought we were both fully committed to the marriage. Come to find out he had an entirely different experience, a lot based on his childhood trauma and when I found out, as you can imagine, I was completely devastated. But there was something inside of me that really felt like we weren't done, and I I didn't know why. I didn't know how to explain that because, you know, you talk to people sometimes or you hear about somebody cheating on somebody. like, You see a celebrity cheating, and you're like, I would be so done. I would be so out of here. I would never put up with that. And then when it happens to you, you might feel that way. But for me, it was kind of a different story. For me, it was kind of like, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand what's going on here. We need to figure this out. And even though it was a long, hard journey, and we made plenty of mistakes, we did figure it out. And yes, we are still together today and are happier and healthier than we ever were before. Both individually, we are happier and healthier. And as a couple, we're both happier and healthier. So wherever you're at along the journey, if you just found out, or if you've been struggling with this years and years, and you still can't quite get over it, I am here to help you. I am here to help you not do the things that I did that were damaging. I am here to teach you and to show you and to help you do the things that will be helpful. Whether you are considering staying with your partner, absolutely want out and you are done, or you have no idea what you want. I am here to help. So reach out Begin by going to betrayalrecoveryguide.com and downloading your copy of my betrayal recovery guide. From there, we can have a chat, figure out what would be the next best step for you along this betrayal recovery journey. No obligation. Never an obligation. I know how it is when you're already inundated with all of this stuff. Sometimes to be like, I can't make another decision. Or worse, when you're in that state of, I don't even trust myself to make another decision. So no pressure, no obligation. Betrayalrecoveryguide.com. Download that. You can start there. So today, I want to talk about love and relationships. And before you jump off and be like, but that's not it, I'm not in love, and he wasn't in love, and she wasn't in love, and all that, let me get a little more specific. What I want to talk about is how we love, how we learn how to love, what it means for us to love, what it means for our partner to love, how our partner was trained to love, and what all that means. Because here's the reality of it. When we talk about love, like I love you, it means something different to everybody out there. We think we have a common understanding of what it means to say I love you, but in reality, we don't. And what's even worse and harder is we don't even know within ourselves. Like for me to communicate that to you, yes, I'm dealing with my definition and your definition, But within myself, I'm not even aware of what that means, and here's why. How we were raised as children, whether it was good or bad or healthy or dysfunctional, is what we are going to think love is. How we were raised as children, whether it's good or bad, healthy or dysfunctional, is what we are going to grow up identifying as love. And that's a lot. That's a lot to think about. For example, and some of these are kind of simplistic examples. It, it is more complex than this, it's, but it's a kind of simplistic example. If you grew up with, say, grandparents who showed you love through food, then you will equate food as love. Before I was cheated on, (laughs) when I was just a generic hypnotherapist, one of the things that I treated was weight loss. And one of the reasons that people struggle to lose weight is because they equate food with love. Because they were raised in a family where grandma loved them through food or dad loved them through food. Or the moments where they felt the most love was on holidays, the Easter ham, the birthday cake, the Thanksgiving turkey. So in their subconscious mind, food meant love. When I was growing up, we would grocery shop once a week. I'm an only child, and it would be my mom and I. And if I had been, you know, good all week, if I was good at the grocery store, in the checkout line, she would buy me a candy bar. So subconsciously, I equate a candy bar or chocolate with being good, with it being a reward. And it's my guess, that there's some sort of an association for you with food too. Food means love. Food means celebration. Food means enjoyment, holidays, celebration, whatever it is. There is an association somewhere that you've got going on subconsciously around food. Now, the other way people show love in a completely dysfunctional way, is through like criticism, picking on people, punishment. There's a whole lot of people out there who think if you love somebody, you gotta ride them. You gotta sit on them. You gotta make sure they know the rules. You've gotta discipline those kids. You've got to train them up right. So they show love to their kids through the implementation of rules, through the implementation of structure, through criticism. Do a better job here. Why did you do it that way? Next time get an A. You didn't mow the grass very well. Your room is not picked up. This house is a mess. They're showing love, through criticism, through discipline. And even though it's harsh and it doesn't feel good, and you or the hypothetical child might be thinking, I hate this, it's still in your mind, in your subconscious mind, that if somebody loves me, they're going to criticize me. If somebody really loves me, they're going to care. So they're going to ride me. They're going to push me. They're going to challenge me. They're never going to be satisfied. Because you're never satisfied with people that you love. Because you always want them to do better. I know. Consciously, it doesn't really make much sense. But subconsciously, it does. So even if you think about the difference between love, like unconditional love and conditional love, conditional love is, I will love you if you clean your room. I will love you if you make me happy. I will love you if, that's conditional love, my love will be taken away from you if you don't do this thing. And that unconditional love is, I love you no matter what. I can be frustrated with you. I can be unhappy with you about your behavior or your choices or your actions. I can be really stinking mad at you. And I will strongly dislike you, but I will always love you. An extreme case, and you do hear about this sometimes, is parents who have a child who have done something really bad. And by really bad, I mean like drunk driving or killing somebody. The parents are really mad at the child for that behavior. But they don't quit loving their child. They still love their child. They're just horrified that their child has done something. Most of us want to be unconditionally loved. That's like the gold standard of love, if you will, that most of us want to know that we are worthy enough to be loved no matter what, that we are worthy enough to be loved despite our mistakes, despite our flaws, our foibles, our shortcomings. Last week's show, was it last week's show? I think it was last week's show or maybe two weeks ago two weeks ago, I talked about self-worth and how people get self-worth wrong. And how self-worth means being okay with yourself is imperfect, being okay with yourself when you make mistakes, being worthy enough to mess up in really bad ways and to still be able to love yourself. Because it's easy to love yourself when you're on fire when you're at your perfect weight, when you've got the perfect job, when your house is totally taken care of, when your kids are doing great, when you know all the answers, like that's easy. That's not self-worth. That's easy. True self-worth, the kind of self-worth that we're striving for, what I, the term that I have coined is naked self-worth, because it's, knowing that you're worthy, truly, no matter what. That you don't need all your foundation garments to make you look good. You don't need makeup and a blowout. You don't need all of that stuff layered on. That you're worthy as you are, waking up naked. (laughs) You're worthy of making mistakes. You're worthy of saying the wrong things and doing the wrong things. You're worthy of losing your temper. You're worthy because of who you are. And that's real deep self-worth. And that's how it is with love. That's the kind of love that we want from other people. We want other people to be like, I love you. It doesn't matter that you burned dinner. It doesn't matter that you yelled at the kids. It doesn't matter that you lost your job. Get this. It doesn't matter that you cheated on your partner. I can still love you. It's a big one, I know. And I know that might make you feel triggered like, but, 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 but you can't do that. I get that. It's the behavior. And most of us desire that kind of love. Most of us want a partner who in our mind we could be like, I could make any mistake in the world and they would still love me because they know me so well. They know how worthy I am. They know my heart. How many times have I heard that? How many times have you thought that? I just want someone to know my heart. Even though I really messed it up, I really want someone to know that I'm a good person and I try hard and I have really, really good intentions. That's what we all want is unconditional love. Someone to love us no matter what. So that brings us right back to the definition definition of love. We can talk about conditional love and unconditional love. But most of us didn't grow up with perfect parents who truly did act like they loved us unconditionally because most people were raised with a very conditional kind of love. You want to please your parents. You want to please the teacher. You want to please whoever it is. So especially if you were raised with a partner who was like, yeah, growing up was a little dysfunctional. Their idea of love is going to be different from your idea of love. In my case, fortunately, I was raised in a pretty darn functional home. My idea of love tends to be more towards the unconditional side. My mom was really good. She was a teacher, that helps. But she was really good at being like, I'm mad at what you did I'm not mad at you. I don't like what you did, but I love you. So I grew up with that kind of a messaging. Whereas my husband grew up in a highly, highly dysfunctional situation where both of his parents were highly critical and were highly conditional. To the point his mom would say things like, unless you do this for me, consider you don't have a mother anymore. Unless you give me a new car, a new dryer, money, insert, whatever it is, (laughs) I'm disowning you. Consider us cut apart. Consider us separated. And she started that from very early on. With horrible verbal abuse, you are a pig. You are a disgusting human. You disgust me, get out of my sight. But kids love their parents no matter what. That's the kicker. Kids love their parents no matter what. So what does my husband think love is? He thinks it's criticism. Criticism under the guise of, I just want to make you better. I just want to make you not a disgusting human being. I just want to make you worthy so I can have you in my sight and so I can give you all of the love that I really want to give you, but that I can't give you because you are so disgusting. Let me help make you better. Let me help make you not a pig, a disgusting human being. See how warped that is, but do you see how that is the belief that a child grows up with? The child thinks food is love. Criticism is love. Whatever the parent gives, a child will think is love because children are hardwired to love their parents and to see what their parents has to give them as love. (sighs) It can kind of make you want to throw up, can't it? (laughs) So I want you to go back first to your partner's childhood and in your mind I just want you to explore what messaging you think they may have gotten around love. What were their parents, how did their parents show love? Of years, like before age seven-ish, how do they show love? And how do they show love to each other if they were married or to extended family members? How was love modeled? How was love modeled? If you've got some paper, you can even write down a few notes on that. If you're driving or walking or working out or doing something like that, think about it tonight before bed. Tonight before bed, pull out your journal, pull out some paper, and just write a little bit about how your partner learned love. How your partner was shown love. And what your partner, whether they're a current or a former or a soon-to-be former partner, was shown love. And then... I want you to think about how you were shown love. What did you need to do to get love? The more perfect I was, the more love I was shown. The better grades that I got, the more love I was shown. The better I was at, we, at all during the week, cleaning my room and helping out with around the house, the more candy I got. I had to be good to get love. That's how love was shown to me. Be good. Have some candy. And I said my childhood was really, really functional. And that's what I'm saying whether it's functional or dysfunctional, we're still shown love in a certain way. So same thing right now. Think about all the ways you were shown love. Think about all the ways your parents showed love or those who raised you showed love or your family showed love. Same thing. If you want to do this tonight with some paper and pencil, do that. And the reason I want you to do it at night is right before bed and right after we wake up, the filter between the conscious portion of the mind And the subconscious portion of the mind is thin. So the work that we do first thing in the morning and last thing at night is the work that really goes into our brain. It's the work that really changes the way our brain processes information. So those are the two times of the day that it's really important to capitalize on, whether it's journaling Or doing one of my downloaded meditations. Or just thinking. Those are the two times a day where the benefit is really, really enormous. So once you've got these two lists, whether they're on paper or in your mind, and it is fun to do this on paper, I want you to kind of compare those lists. And to see how similar and how different they are. You've probably heard about Gary Chapman's The Five Languages of Love. And how we all have different love languages. Like some people like acts of service. Some people like gifts. Some people like quality time. Some people like physical touch. Some people like words of affirmation. This is similar yet different to that, because that identifies, here are the things that you want. Then you take that one level deep. Here are the things that I want to receive, but what are the things that I want to give? Because I might want to receive quality time, but I might want to give physical touch. I might want to receive words of affirmation, but I might want to give acts of service. So it's similar yet different to those because this isn't just you in your headspace saying, yeah, I really want this. Yeah, I really like this. This is going beneath that. This is deeper than that. And it's finding out what does my subconscious mind believe about love? The languages of love are what my conscious mind wants to receive and wants to give as my languages of love. These are your subconscious languages of love, meaning you're probably not that aware of them. And if you were to articulate them, they might actually sound kind of strange, like my subconscious programming is love is a candy bar at the checkout stand. That doesn't even make sense. Or my subconscious programming is being hypercritical of somebody? Whoa, that doesn't even make sense. But do you see why that association was made in our mind as a child that then becomes the operating system that our entire life and behavior is based on? So while the five languages of love are conscious, this is subconscious. So when you compare how were you shown love as a child, what do I think love is? With how your partner or ex-partner, assumed to be ex-partner, or maybe your new partner, how they were shown love and what they subconsciously believe love is, you can tell pretty, pretty right away if there's a mismatch or not. And unlike the five languages of love, this isn't about saying like, "Hey, my partner loves physical touch, so I'm going to consciously choose to, you know, touch his arm more often and I'm going to consciously ask my partner for more gifts because gifts are mine." This isn't conscious. It's subconscious. So once you start becoming aware, gosh, in the deep dark depths of my brain, I believe that love is criticism. That means when I really start loving somebody, I start getting critical. Wow. And then that's something you can start sharing with your partner. If you're together, whether it's the ex or the new one, you can start sharing with your partner and having a conversation around that. Such as, you know, I have realized that growing up in my family, the way we showed love was by really kind of being critical of each other under this guise of, I just want to make you a better person. I'm just going to push you and make you better. And as an adult, I don't really like that. That doesn't really fit with who I want to be or how I want to feel. I don't want to be in a relationship and constantly feel like I have to know better and I have to have all these suggestions for the other person and I have to be all up in their business. That feels icky to me. And I can see how in the past I would do that to you. I could see how sometimes in the past I would get all quote-unquote helpful and be in your business about the best way to do it is like this, and why don't you cook this for dinner, and why don't you mow the lawn that way, and why don't you? And now I see all of those helpful suggestions weren't really helpful suggestions. In my mind, subconsciously, I thought I was showing love. I am now trying to break that pattern because I know better now. Now I know what real love looks like and feels like, or at least how I want it to look and how I want it to feel. So, together, let's kind of start working on this. And I'm going to start making some new associations. I'm going to start making new associations around love. And I just wanted you to know. Wow, great conversation. You're not asking them to do the same. You're not even telling them that, and I analyzed your childhood, and it seems to me that we have a big mismatch here. You're just owning your own childhood. You're explaining the associations that got made subconsciously in you. You're owning the parts that you don't like. And you're telling somebody, you know what? I'm working on creating some new habits around love. Because that just doesn't feel really authentic to who I want to be. Possibly it'll spark them to do the same. It would be nice if it did. Maybe it won't. But as you start showing up differently. As you start nagging less, criticizing less, getting out of somebody else's business more. It might start changing how they show up by default. Because relationships are always a dance. And they always take two. And if I am stepping forward, you have to step backwards. And if I keep stepping forward and we're in a dance position, you have to keep stepping backwards. And yet when I stop stepping forward and I start stepping to the side, we either separate or you start coming with me too. And sometimes there's that little moment of struggle or that little moment of separation because your partner doesn't know what the heck you're doing or how to follow you because they're like, I've been stepping backwards for 20 years. What are you doing? But that's you being accountable for your own growth. That's you being accountable for your own understanding and for what it means and for doing what you need to do to make yourself the kind of person that you want to be. Because I don't want to show love by criticizing. I don't want to show love to my partner by criticizing. I don't want to show love to my kids by criticizing. I don't want to show love to anybody by criticizing them. That feels icky. And even though that is not, that that's not my default love around that. I do My default, I've got a differently default love. Mine is around perfection. But I have the awareness now, and I can see that in other people. Like, okay, I'm a perfection seeker. Okay, my husband, he's a criticizer. Okay, you know, and, and I start seeing that in other people. And then when you start noticing it in other people, it triggers you less when somebody does something that you don't like. In the past, when my husband would criticize, I would want to get defensive. Or pick a fight around it. Like, he would always come in. He still does. It just doesn't drive me crazy anymore. He would always come in, and whatever I had the pan set on, he would change it. So I'd have it on high, say, because I'm trying to get the water hot enough to boil. And he would turn it down to nine. I would have something on 2 because I'm warming it up, he would bump it up to three. And it would always be like, oh my God, don't touch my pants. Like, why are you in here? And then he would always have to come in, well, you're just, and he'd always have a reason. And then I'd always have a reason. And then we'd have this icky interaction where it'd be like, it's my pants, it's my And it's stupid and it's irritating. But it's the prime example of, does any of this matter? No. But more than that, once I started realizing this is his way of showing love, he's going to come in and help me because his child blueprint pattern for being loved was criticizing and helping and figuring it out. So when he would waltz in the kitchen and change all of my pans around just by one notch, somewhere deep in his subconscious mind, this is like an act of love because I'm going to come in and I'm going to fix you and I'm going to make you a better cook. When I understand that, I don't care to fight him. Like, I still think it's stupid. <laughs> I still think it's irritating. When he turns his back, I put my burners where I want my burners to cook my meal. But inside, I'm like, it's his way of showing love. It's, it's weird. It's twisted. It's not really healthy. I don't really like it. But it doesn't trigger me. I don't have emotion around it. I couldn't care less. No, it's not like it's endearing. Oh, how cute. He's trying to show love. It's not. It's just nothingness. It's neutral. It's nothing. And that's a really good place to be. And then I recognize it in myself as well. Why am I working so hard to do this? Why am I not letting myself sleep? Why am I killing myself to make something perfect? Oh, because I want to be loved. Because love is equated with perfection. There are a million and one different ways (laughs) that we were shown love. And there are a million different associations that we have made around what it means to be loved. And my challenge to you is just to go forward and start exploring those a little bit. Because again, it's about understanding. And whether or not this relationship works or doesn't work, it doesn't matter. Because you are going to love other people in your lifetime. Whether it's kids or family or friends. Or even your job or your coworkers, it's really important to be aware of those subconscious beliefs, that subconscious patterning over what it means to be loved. And then when you know that, it's easier to let it go. Like my example with the stove, if you understand, it's not gonna trigger you. I talked about this a couple shows ago, but my father-in-law recently passed away. And my maybe third time of ever seeing him, he totally verbally attacked me, totally criticized me, yelled, verbally attacked me, to the point that I was crying because I had never had somebody that mean to me before. And what stood out at the time is... My husband and his brothers, nobody like that at an eye. Nobody was upset. Nobody really understood why I was so upset that I was crying. And again, it's that subconscious belief. They were used to it, yes. But more than that, they were used to it because it was their dad's way of showing that he cared and that it was Connection. And I had never experienced that in my life. So, even in situations like that, whether it is a toxic boss or a toxic coworker, sometimes just having an understanding, not that it excuses behavior. My father in law was completely out of line. There are many toxic boxes, bosses and toxic coworkers that are completely out of line. And this is not meant to excuse that. I still want you to speak up. I still want you to advocate. I still want you to address things. I still want you to use I statements. What this is about is your feelings inside. So you won't be keyed up. So you won't feel like vomiting. So you won't be totally stressed out. This is all about so you can feel better in the moment and so you can understand it. When you know better, you've got to do better. (laughs) But this is just so you don't trigger. Because that's what it's all about, is being able to move through life and to feel good and to feel confident in yourself and what's going on and to not always be afraid of people or upset or reading something into something that means something else. So I'm curious what you come up with. I'd love to see those lists like side by side, you, your partner, what it meant to be loved, how you were shown love, just so you can see those matches or mismatches. And in most relationships, there's a match because you came together and you felt and experienced love with each other. So there'll be like one big match. Perfection, I said, was mine. My husband also had a lot of perfection in his. But then there was a lot of mismatching too. Usually a big match, but then usually several big, strong mismatches that cause the problem. So what I really love is after you kind of sit with that and play around with it, I'd love you to email me just so, first of all, you can validate what was happening in your relationship and so you can put words to it because when you put words to it, it integrates differently in your brain and in your heart and then you're more likely to act on it and you're more likely to use that information and it gets into your body. It's not just, oh, here's this useless piece of fluff that I heard on a podcast, but then I'm not applying it to myself or my life, so I still feel really, really triggered, and I still feel really, really afraid when people do things, and I'm this next relationship is going to fall apart too. When you communicate it, that's when that integration happens, and that's when you start learning. So that is why I'm having this ask of, hey, create the form and then email me. Think about it. Talk about it. Then email me if you've got that assignment. Email me. You're more likely to do it, and then when you're more likely to do it, you're more likely to have that change. So you probably know my email, Laura at lorachedle com, and it's L O R A at L O R A C H E A D L E dot com. Laura at lorachedle dot com. And then what I want to wrap this podcast up with is a little bit of an explanation around that subconscious programming and those subconscious connections. Because again, once you start understanding how it happens and why it makes sense, it's easier to start breaking those patterns. Okay, we are meaning-making machines. We are built for survival. So if we do one thing, if we have one thing happen to us, our mind will create an association that will be there forevermore. If you ever took psychology in high school, you might have heard about Pavlov's dogs. Pavlov ran this experiment where he would ring a bell before he fed his dogs dinner. Ring the bell, feed the dogs dinner. Ring the bell, feed the dogs dinner. Ring the bell, feed the dogs dinner. After so often of doing that, when he would ring the bell, the dogs would start salivating. There was no food in front of them. We salivate when we see the food, when we smell the food, when we start eating the food. Our saliva kicks in to start breaking down our food. Otherwise, we don't salivate that much. The bell is not going to cause a dog or human to salivate. But that association was made in the dog's mind. The bell means food. So the body kicked in and the body started salivating at the sound of the bell. So that's an association. And it's actually a false association. Because a dog hearing a bell does not need to salivate. That doesn't help the dog. It's a false association. But it was created in the dog's mind no matter what. And my point with that is associations like that happen all the time. If you're smelling the food and seeing the food and therefore salivating, that's an association that makes sense. Because the food is put in front of you and you're seeing it and you're smelling it. That is a useful, positive, correct association. The bell is an incorrect association. Our mind is filled with both correct and incorrect associations. Because the mind doesn't differentiate between whether this is correct or whether this is incorrect. If you've ever been in a car accident, you might notice that you are jumpy after the car accident when you're in a similar circumstance. For instance, I was in an accident where I hydroplaned on wet roads. After that accident, whenever I would drive on wet roads, I would feel a little bit stressed. This has happened before. It might happen again. <laughs> I was a little bit jumpy. Associations like that happen all the time. If somebody has a tendency to like sneak up on you, you know, around a corner at work because they're always quiet and they're always coming around this corner, pretty soon you become a little bit leery of the corner. Like, oh, I'm going to slow down because I'm always crashing into people around this corner. I worked in a restaurant once where we would, the servers would come in around this corner and then the servers would come out in the same corner carrying the big tray. And there were always either crashes or potential crashes because that was the corner that everybody had to go around. So coming around that corner because you're moving quickly, everybody would yell, corner, 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 to let people know that they were coming. But it was that association, like you approach that corner and automatically you're a little on guard and you start listening. Is somebody coming around? Is somebody forgetting to say corner? Do I need to say corner? You become on heightened alert. There's been an association made. And ever since then, ever since working there, whenever I'm in a place, because that's something they do in a lot of restaurants, but you'll hear somebody like yell corner and I kind of get on high alert. Yeah, I'm looking because I'm aware. Even though I'm not a server, I'm not going around the corner, that association is still somewhere in my body. These are the kinds of subconscious associations that I'm talking about, both with childhood and love and how we love, but also in your relationship and in a fair recovery specifically. And that's why I want to end the show is with some of the associations around a fair recovery. You were probably traumatized when you found out. You probably have had some sort of obsessive thought where you can't get pictures out of your mind. You can't get an image out of your mind. You can't get words out of your mind. Where you're thinking, forevermore, I'm going to have this image. Forevermore, I I can't do this. And I've worked with so many people who are like, we have to sell the car. I have to sell it. I can't live in this house anymore. And those are associations. And the reason that I'm bringing this up here, because we started off talking about love and the way that we were loved and how we're loved and everything, but that's an association And why I'm bringing this up here is because I want you to take that one step further to think about all the associations that you are creating in a fair recovery around love. Because I want you to be careful. And I don't want you to damage yourself and your brain going forward. I don't want you to have an association That love means cheating or that love hurts or that love is unpredictable. At the beginning of the show, I said I would love to work with you at any stage so I can help you prevent mistakes from being made. So I can help you avoid building new habits that then later on down the road will need to be undone. And what I mean by that is associations. A fair recovery has got a lot of potholes, let's say. There's a lot of potholes you can step in and either twist your ankle or break your whole hip. And I really want you to be careful with the associations that you're building around love, that you're building around relationships that you're building around yourself. Because your partner's choice to cheat was a choice. Your partner chose to cheat because he or she didn't have any other skills. Perhaps there was a mismatch in how you were each taught to love and to be loved. Perhaps you did things wrong. You probably did. We all do. It's called being human, and it's called being in a relationship. In no way does that justify or excuse cheating, and in no way is it your fault. It's something that perhaps was a contributing factor, and there's no shame in that. So I want you to be very careful about these associations. Oh, if I only would have done this, if I only would have done that, if I only would have said this, if I only would have known that, if I only would have. Uh Uh-uh. Don't associate anything that your partner did with who you are or what you deserve. Is that clear? Associations are powerful. And they are subconscious, meaning they are not conscious. And if you find that you can't quite break habits, you can't let go of the obsessive thoughts, you can't let go of this grief, you can't move on, then chances are it's subconscious, it's not conscious, because consciously we all want to move on. Consciously, we all want to be healthy and happy and whole and complete. Consciously, we want to be on the other side. And if you can't seem to get there, it's because it's not conscious. It's because it's subconscious. And the only way to change subconscious associations is through working with the subconscious. The only way to change subconscious associations is by working with the subconscious. If you'd like to reach out to me We can do some hypnotherapy because hypnotherapy is subconscious work. If you would like to try to do some things on your own, use meditation that is subconscious. Use some movement somatic therapy that is subconscious. I can help you with any of that. I can help you with meditation. I can help you with movement. I can help you with hypnotherapy. Journaling is also a subconscious behavior. You can journal your way through this. Many ways to get at the subconscious. What I want for you is to understand these subconscious associations and how they get made and how quite often they are faulty. Like the dinner bell does not mean a dog needs to salivate. Like, criticism does not mean love. Perfection does not mean love. Candy does not mean love. But just because they are not accurate doesn't mean that they aren't real. And what I want is for you not to be held hostage by your subconscious associations for one second longer than you need to be. So reach out, and I can help. There are other people who can help, too but just start identifying. I think this might be an association because this is not something I seem to be able to break free from and move on from. Start identifying them, start journaling on them. And together, we're gonna put your brain (laughs) back under conscious control so you can feel better, so you can be proactive. And so you can finally move on and put this behind you in a healthy way where you can remember it and talk about it, but not have your nervous system hijacked, not be all emotional and keyed up because of it. And most importantly, so you can love and be loved in a healthy whole and complete way reach out let me know what's going on for you and as usual always remember to flaunt exactly who you are because who you are is always more than enough tune in next time to flaunt find your sparkle and create a life you love After Infidelity or Betrayal with radio host and live choreographer, Laura Cheadle, every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 radio network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal recovery guide at nakedselfworth.com.